Um, no. Ah, much better. Now, get ready for an uncivilized discussion about faith. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Barbarian, Barbarian Prophet. Welcome back to the Barbarian Prophet, my Barbarian Nation. I am so glad that you have decided to check in again. You know, we were kind of wondering where we were at here uh, after I put out that first one, but I was rather impressed in 17 downloads, so that's pretty impressive, or at least 115 people chose to listen to us, or maybe I listened to us 115 times. You just don't know. So, you know, I am fortunate and blessed enough that as everybody has been helping out with this, that uh, my nephew Tyler, as you all know, came up last week and delivered some equipment. So that's why we're back on the air. But even more so, I am joined today by a guy by the name of Jeremy Poole. Don't say that too loud. Okay, I'll... uh, Jeremy Poole. <laughs> but Jeremy is a very old friend of mine. Uh, we've been friends for 20 years, and uh, he is one of those really incredible stories that I just did not want to let go. I wanted to <clears throat> make sure that we got it out and everybody got an opportunity to hear some of the things that has brought this guy through to his Christian belief and get got him to where he is out and about. So, Jeremy, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Where do you live now? Casper, Wyoming. All right. And uh, I was born, well, I was born in Worland, Wyoming, but raised in Cody, Wyoming. Very nice place to be raised. Not so much now. Hard to find work. <laughs> Where? Over in Cody or in? Cody. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, beautiful, beautiful country. I didn't know there was a place that didn't look like northwest wyoming until i was probably 10 i thought every place had majestic mountains and snowfall and elk and and then you went to and then we went and visited my parents and my grandparents in nebraska missouri and you were like where did, like, where's your mountains where dang, did the mountains man. go <laughs> yeah we we are definitely in the rocky mountains so so you end up living in casper at some point so let's let's start off with you you grew up you your parents were christians when you were little right correct yep i was raised in a very loving christian home awesome home and to this day my parents are two of my best friends i'm very fortunate to be able to say yeah they're awesome people um who you know well uh, but I was very rebellious to say the least. So I, when, when do you think problems started for you? The minute you oh, realized there wasn't everything was majestic or what? Birth. Birth. <laughs> <laughs> I no. had a rejection of things when I was born. <laughs> no. Oh, along about 14 and 15. Uh, got introduced to weed. Yeah, I, you know a lot of a lot of kids. That's about time they start into that rebellion stage. It, to be God honest with you, I mean, and never was much of a drinker as a kid. Um, and it wasn't even so much. It, I just have this crazy thing inside of me, which 
I know you have a bit of this and probably most of the listeners have a bit of this that when you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it 10 times and shove it in your face and say, now tell me I can't. There's just this weird thing inside of me. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I've I've seen that with you where you've even went, uh, I told you I love you and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And you said, is that a challenge? I said, yeah, because you can't <laughs> change my mind and you never could, could you? Correct, correct. <clears throat> Same is true with Jesus. Well, uh, like... So you're, so you're smoking weed. Yeah, and just not really doing anything horrible or bad, but definitely not listening. I moved out of my house... For the last time, I think when I was 15, um, my mother and, and father to this day have never not tracked me down. And uh, I don't know how to say it. They just the don't end, let you they escape. They just don't let me go. Yeah, they don't let you escape. They're still your parents no matter what. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When you're a kid, you always think uh, your parents are always on your back. But later on, you realize they're the only ones that got your back. That's correct. That's very accurate uh, concerning my parents. Well, uh, wound up getting in serious big boy trouble when I was 17, stole a car and some other stuff. Lo and behold, get sentenced to prison as a juvenile. Okay, so it's 17 years old. You are sentenced to Rollins State Penitentiary. Correct. It's a maximum yard. Correct. So why was that the only prison here at the time? Well, they actually gave me a deference, which I had to go to Newcastle to through the boot camp. Oh, through boot camp. Okay. Which wound up being nine months total through jail. And then you do actually have to go to Rollins through the fish tank. And then you wind up in Newcastle. And about what year was this? Uh, This would have been... 97. Okay. Was it still the old prison or was mm-hmm. it the new prison? It was still Not the old, old one downtown. The old one down that you drive past to get up to the new prison. Okay. You know okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. I sure do. Two weeks out, uh, I graduated boot camp as guide on, which means you're the top of your little quote unquote platoon, quote group of guys. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks later, I was back in jail facing the two- to four-year prison sentence that I had, and which I went and did. Uh, Got out on parole unwisely. I should have killed that number. (laughs) Right. But but all this is in God's plan, and I'm going to tie all this together here. I I believe you. So I want to cover one thing real Mm -hmm. quick. So you, what was your total sentence originally? Originally was a suspended two to four year prison sentence. And you ended up doing how many years in all reality with that two to four? (laughs) About eight and a half. Well, and uh, that's part of the story. (laughs) But about eight and a half years of prison total. And I can laugh about it now because I can see God's plan for my life through all of it. Yeah, you'd have to or else that would make you completely insane. Oh, yeah. All right, so you've you're in trouble again. You're back in. You're back to locked up. So let's let's have at it. So I did. I think two and a half years, and then had a chance to get out on parole, which I took unwisely, and got sent to the halfway house here in Casper, the CAC, 
and started smoking reefer. Got a hot piss test and knew I was going to go back for the rest of that two to four. So I made the really smart decision to just take off. So you just decided to escape prison? Because mm, I was about 20. I think I had either turned 21 or I was about to turn 21. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go back and do another two years in prison. So I, being very smart at that age. Super intelligent. Thought, I know. I'll just take off. I got a great idea. I'll I'll escape from prison and just and just no, by the by, just so you know, the state of Wyoming views walking away from a halfway house exactly the same way as if you were to have actually broke out of jail. The law sees no difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and that comes with a sentence that we'll cover later. So uh, let's talk about that. So now you have escaped and you fled to a foreign country. <laughs> I wish. I would have if I could have. It was February, and I went to the bus station, and I had about 800 bucks. And I literally, this is no joke, looked up at the destinations that they had scheduled for that day in Phoenix, Seemed the warmest, and that's where I went. Why well, can't? Was it winter when you escaped? Yeah, Is that February. why? February. Oh, in February. February. Okay, so yeah, you, so you went to a place where there was no mm-hmm. snow. That makes complete sense. Uh, there's a lot of people that escape the state of Wyoming in that same way, <laughs> but they usually don't have uh, the prison pursuing them thereafter. So I'm going to fast forward through a bunch of this. Stayed in Phoenix. I. Bebopped all around the country. Phoenix, Rapid City, San Francisco, Chicago, back to Cody, and then to Houston, Texas. All those first ones lasted about a year total. I wound up staying in Houston for about a year. Had a, had a job the whole time I was there. You know what I mean? Place to stay, girlfriend. So how did you... You're on the run from the law, so mm-hmm. how are you able to get money? How are you able to do things as a as a person on run? Because you can say, hey, yo, my name is Jeremy Poole because well, there's I warrants actually, and people looking for you. I had two guys that were quote-unquote friends, and, and they both were to a certain extent. I can't lie. Uh, one of them was a cocaine dealer, a major co- cocaine dealer, who had a construction company as a front. So we would piddle the ass and around on little projects and he's living in a very nice home driving very nice vehicles working like 20 hours a week working right right well and another guy was not too far off from that but uh so they paid me under the table because i would sell dope for him in the clubs on the weekends and i was just a buddy you know what i mean i've always been naturally attracted to leaders be they good or bad so i'm gonna fast forward through all that that's how i wound up staying in houston that whole time i and working quote unquote but having a place to stay a kind of a normal life kind of right well at this point at some point in time i wound up getting back in touch with my mom who i had not talked to in over a year and a half and I'm sure that the law enforcement had been in contact with her numerous oh, yes. times over. Well, and my just parents waiting. happened to know the law enforcement in Cody, Wyoming, particularly well. They were group home parents up there for well over 10 years. And Cody's not a large community. And so they had made many friends through the years in law enforcement, the 
the court system, things like that, dealing with juveniles. Um, so the part of this story that I really, that the Lord has wanted me to share is there's a suburb of Houston, Texas called Pasadena. And I was living there and I had a one room part of a two bedroom apartment and I had a mattress and a small pile of clothes, no phone. Yes, kids, there was a time in ancient history when you could actually survive without a phone. It sucked, but you could do it. <laughs> well, well, one thing for yeah, you you did your phones were actually attached to the wall, mm-hmm. and, and if you had you, to push and, real buttons or dial a, and not only that, uh, if you did have a cell phone. Uh, it was about the size of a iron, which most oh, kids yes. wouldn't know what an iron is oh, yes. nowadays either. The battery on it was the size of an iron. So I need to say at this point in time, mind you, I was raised a Christian. I have I do not ever remember a time in my life that I did not sincerely and actually believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ. Right, and I, you know, I, I can vouch for that for you. I mean, you, I mean, you were, a youth. Yeah, yeah. You, you were definitely. Your dad even says that about you, man. You was, you always knew the truth. Mm-hmm. However, I had never had to put it to the test. Okay, and this is not what I was doing was putting it to the test. What happened was, I found myself in my little room by myself, with nothing, no prospects, excuse me, no work prospects. I can't pursue a relationship with this girl because I can't, you know what I mean? I can't go, I can't go buy a car. I can't buy a plane ticket because I have no ID. You know, I mean, I know the state of Wyoming is looking for me. I'm not no ax murderer. But I have a felony warrant out for my arrest. Absolutely. Getting pulled over was an end all. Oh, yeah. I'm going away so what happened was i sat there and i prayed probably the first genuine desperate prayer of my life and i don't think i even asked god for anything i think i just reached out to him and it was like i I'm at the end. I I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I, you know what I mean? Desperate. And this is what I want people to hear from me. This is from Jeremy Poole. And I tell very few people this. But I need to start telling more. So thank you for inviting me. But... Not with my physical eyes I saw, and I don't care if you believe me or not. Someone came into that room and sat beside me on that mattress and said two words to me. Those two words were, I know. And that changed the course of my life. I didn't even know it then. I didn't, I didn't realize then, but just that person coming and sitting beside me 
saying, and they put their armor on me, and I don't care if you believe me or not, mm-hmm. and just said, I know, and sat there with me, and it was the Holy Spirit. I believe that wholeheartedly. So then what transpires from there? What transpired from there is I was wound up working with another guy, another gentleman, and after at least a month, I... I'm going to try to describe this as best I can in word. The foot of my bed was up against the closet, and the door was always open. I had lived there well over a month. And I'm a reader, okay? I enjoy reading books, anything and everything. always have. And I'm sitting there one day, lived there a month, with this closet open at the foot of my bed. And I thought, man, I wish I had a good book to read. And I look up, I... I give, I say this in front of God. This is true. I look up and there's a book sitting on its back with the bottom of it out pointed towards me. And I knew instantly that it was a Bible. Right. And it didn't say Holy Bible. You're Mm -hmm. looking at paper end of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was a Bible. And so I got it down and started reading it at this time i was doing a lot of drugs this is actually a period in time which i really started getting used to drinking a lot was during this time with this guy and i just made a commitment to the lord i said i will no matter what every night i'm gonna say for lack of a better term say my prayers and i would drunk high anything i would make a point to get down on my knees and saying my prayers. Well, one night I was saying them. And the only way I know how to describe it is I felt a great disconnect between me and the Lord. Almost like my prayers are bouncing off a brick wall. And I specifically asked the Lord about that. And I said, what's the deal? I told you I'd pray to you. You know what? What's up? And just as audibly as I heard that, I know. I heard, you need to go turn yourself in. That was it. That was it. And I broke down. I remember quite distinctly. Because I knew it was the truth. That's what the deal was. I was running. Not just running from the law, but you were actually running from running from, from God. You know, and, and when we... When we think about that, I mean, what what kind of came to my mind when you said that, that it felt like they were just bouncing off of something. When something's in your heart and your heart is still hardened and you're saying it from your heart, it's bouncing against the hardness of your heart back at you. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not penetrating, penetrating or headed towards the Lord. I would agree with that completely. <clears throat> so... It took about two and a half months, <laughs> a lot of going away parties, believe me. This is it. I'm leaving this yeah, time. this time I mean it. You no, know, no, this time I'm going. Hold, oh, I, I In just, fact, I got to tell you a funny story about that. Go ahead. I called my mom, who you know very well. And during the course of the conversation, I said, Mom, I need to find a way back up. To Wyoming, I'm going to turn myself in. And she said, oh, okay. Well, about two weeks later, maybe it was even a week, my mom will probably listen to this and correct me, but this is how I remember it. 
She called me back about a week later and, hey, how's it going? Good, great. How's it going with you? She goes, um, did you, last time we talked, say you were going to turn yourself in? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, because from an early age, people Wyoming wide and nationwide learned if you want Jeremy to stay somewhere, you put a, you better put a high fence. I, I'm not joking. Okay, and I <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm picturing your mom talking to you, and inside your mind, you're hearing this. Mm. <laughs> the world's closing in on me now. Well, she, and she, my dad actually, because my I was talking to my dad one day, and he. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, get a bus ticket, or I don't even have an ID. And he said, well, I'll come get you. And this is a, something I want to give a tribute to my dad for. This is after four years of prison, two and a half easy years of going in and out of juvenile institutions, stealing their cars, my parents, I mean, stealing their money. And I'm not proud of these things, but it's the truth. My dad, when I said, I'm done, and I'm ready to go turn myself in, he said, and I was living in Houston, Texas, and he lived in Cody, Wyoming. That is a long drive. He said, I'll come get you. He said, but you better be there when I get there. And I said, Dad, I'm ready. <laughs> I I don't mean to laugh, yet I do mean to laugh because, uh, you know, one of the things with your dad, I can hear him going, all right, I'm going to drive all the way down there, and he's going to already been shot out like a cannon and run My dad knows me else. very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I, you know, that's why... It, you don't realize this, but that's why Trump built the wall is so you wouldn't go to Mexico. <laughs> I was tempted, believe me. So one other part of uh, this is kind of the first time I've given my testimony in a long time. But something I want to highlight God for. Uh is the gift of surrender because I if he wouldn't have shut certain I mean I I could have gone into selling drugs and as a matter of fact the first guy I worked for down there and lived with for about six months and sold drugs for him is doing life in prison on drug charges didn't kill anybody but just simply for the amount and consistency and he's doing life in prison and my alias which I shall not say that I lived by down there. I was mentioned in all that paperwork and they never knew who I was. I'm I'm positive. And I shouldn't have even said all that right on here, but that is God's truth. Yeah. So God slammed doors in my face. Well and and you know you know as well as I do is that even when you're with you being as open and as honest as you are, is that part of the situation is you you know that God rescues us. And uh, we uh, sometimes are always afraid of our past catching up with us. But I tell you what, once you put a nail in it, it's done. It's done. Amen to that. And it doesn't mean that law can't get a hold of you for some stuff. But on the other end of things. I was like, wasn't it Weasel that slapped the. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll tell that story a little (laughs) later, man. 
No, we don't want to tell all Bert's yeah, story. Yeah, this right. is your yeah, story. Right, don't right, right. don't start pointing across <laughs> the table at me, knucklehead. You, this is your story, not right. my story. So, okay, now let, let's back up here. We've got Dad. He's on the way down there. You could have other charges. You don't. God is interrupted. All right. So Dad gets there to pick you up. And we, I stayed. And waited for him to pick me up. <laughs> and uh, I secured myself to the bedpost with a set of handcuffs to know, my ankle. Yeah, said, Dad's I, coming any day. I'll just stop near, myself. Dang near. Because the good bike parties weren't stopping. Trust me. But, uh, you know, my dad is, has always been a very good man. And very good to me and my brother and sister. We just were not very close growing up and this him doing that for me I didn't really fully realize this at the time either but that really changed me and his relationship that I saw that because it shocked me to be God honest with you I wasn't asking for a ride when I was talking to my dad telling him how I was planning on getting back up to Wyoming he just said I'll come get you that shocked me because I knew he meant it and so anyway, we come back up. I stayed in Cody at my parents' house for a couple of weeks. And one day I remember waking up and my warrant was out of Casper, Wyoming. And so I woke up one day and I told my mom, if we don't go today, I'm not going. And so my mother, my brother, Ben, and I drove from Cody to Casper and I had to walk into the front door of Natrona County Detention Center, walk up to the window and say, I think you have, my name's Jeremy Poole. I think you have a warrant for my arrest. And I had to sit there and listen to this lady go, okay, stand by. And I was like, stand by? My brother damn near had to tackle me to keep me in that place. I was like, I'm not standing by. Either come arrest me right now. Or I I mean, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Okay. But I want you to tell the listeners, mm-hmm. when you got up that morning, you put on a pair of pants. Mm-hmm. They, they were corduroy pants. <laughs> bell bottoms. They were bell bottom corduroy <laughs> pants. <clears throat> this is in 2002. <laughs> Somehow, he had found some clothes from the 1970s. <laughs> and then he put on the most brilliant colored shirt a man could ever wear to a jail to turn himself in. And I believe that color was rainbow. It was orange. Oh yeah. (laughs) You were wearing the same color. They put you in for the next, that's right. The next several years. Oh, I remember that. You remember some of this. I do remember that stuff because every day (laughs) you said when we were locked up together, just so everybody knows we were locked up together. And Jeremy used to always say, why did I wear that shirt that day? That it, I, That's going to be the that's shirt true. they're going to have available for me when I, when get, I get out of prison. It's going to be the same color <laughs> as what I was wearing. And it makes me laugh every time I think about it. So, so okay, let's, then let's, they come and get you. Okay. With a SWAT they, team. No, no they, that was me. You go. That that actually, that memory is, is uh, very precious to me, believe it or not, because... Uh, There was no turning back. You know what I mean? I had decided, I'd made the decision 
drove to Casper, walked myself into the detention center, admitted my guilt, essentially. I'm Jeremy Poole. I know you have a warrant for me back there, which they did. And uh, some of that's private, but that that's one of my that's a precious memory for me because that truly uh, I, I, this may sound cliche, but that was a turning moment moment in my life. It was a turning point because I just gave up. I could have at at any time. Before walking in there, I could have run off. You know what I mean? And just walking in there and saying, I give up. That became a, not just surrendering yourself to law enforcement, but completely making the decision to surrender yourself to Christ. Correct. And what I would like to point towards Christ in this entire situation, uh, I could write books about some of the stuff that I'm not going to tell you about, but and Bert happens to know a lot of it. But uh, kind of the high point I want to do is point towards God's faithfulness. Because what I have learned through this experience the last 20 years of my life, one of the biggest things I've learned is that uh, obedience matters. I would would agree with that. I'm in the throes of it right now. And so is every other Christian at some point and part in their life. Right. We always will be. So you get arrested. You go in. You start to do your your time in the county jail. How long were you in that county jail? Uh, that time, six months. I've served an entire year of my life exactly in that jail, but that was six months. Um, many, many miraculous things. But I, I had committed to God that if I was going to do this, meaning turning myself in, I just asked him to be there with me through the whole thing. And I remember him asking that, him that very simply, just be with me and guide me because you told me to do this and I'm doing it. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> all I can say is, first of all, I've never been ashamed of my Christian faith. Haven't always been the outspoken guy. And I'm still not the most outspoken guy in the room necessarily. But I'm definitely not afraid to share my faith anywhere, anytime, with anybody. I don't care. And I was like that then also. Plus, I had just taken a big step of faith, truly. I didn't see it like that then, but that's I had taken a big step of faith. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that um, that happens is when you, you do te- take that leap, you, you didn't know what your sentencing could be. No, I was actually... Uh, I had, (laughs) you're right, and I'm kind of, there's a few things that I may, steps I might be missing in here just because I haven't sat down and chronologically thought about this in a while, but. That's okay. uh, I wound up getting a three to five year prison sentence, okay? Of which you served? Four and a half years. You say, and you killed your number. You mm-hmm. flattened your number. And I could have got killed. out at like three years, but I had already made that mistake. And I knew, I I know myself well enough. I don't do good under the thumb, I especially of law. I really don't. And so I chose to just sit out that time 
so that when I walked out, the day I walked out of prison, I was a free man. No parole, no probation, nothing. Absolutely. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about jail time. Mm -hmm. Okay, because that's where you and me, and I, I know our listeners don't all know this, but where Poole and I got together, where Jeremy and I got together was uh, in the county jail. I was in there doing my bit of time. Uh, I was serving some time for stuff that we'll discuss on another show. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Jeremy Poole and uh, a guy by the name of our brother, his name was Dale Hunt. He's passed away now. But one of the things with Dale is that he um, – he was a guy that if you ever read my book, uh, which you should, which you should read, <clears throat> you're going to see where uh, Jeremy and Dale had a major impact on my life. Uh, you know, Christ is the one that rescued me, but they were dang sure the ones that made sure I was uh, started up and running on on the path. Uh, I have a book out that's called "From the Club to the Cross" uh, by Bert Eldridge. If you ever get a chance, you can get it off of Amazon, but. You're going to see where Poole is mentioned in there, but there were some crazy things that happened in the jail that are not mentioned in the book. So uh, Jeremy and Dale were selled together. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Let's let's talk about because uh, things started really getting crazy when I came into the mix because apparently I bring insanity with me, especially <laughs> spiritual insanity. Because one thing I was. Where Jeremy has always been a Christian and a believer in Christ, I was definitely not that. I was a pagan, uh, and I was pagan when I met him, and uh, uh, kind of siding with some people that were definitely on not not in a good way. No. And I'll say something else. You, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you were very violent. Also, not just in physical violence. I thought the pillow fights were acceptable. (laughs) I'm trying to soften myself up here. Jay's Jeremy. No, I was a very violent person. And not not necessarily in a physical sense, although (laughs) that sense also. But just you could tell he was he was mean. And, uh, so my cellmate Dale and I, which that's a whole nother miracle in and of itself. He walked in on let, let, the Bible let, one day. Let's take, let's, let's talk about that okay. because that's not, a, these are miracles. We should not let slip by us. I agree. Okay. Uh, these are the stories in which people need to hear what is going on behind those, uh, jail walls and prison walls. So there, when Dale got booked into jail, there were two beds available in EPOD and he didn't know either of us from Adam and he just happened to pick me. Mine being one of the empty, I had an empty bunk in my cell and he walked in and I was reading my Bible and he said, Oh, you a Christian? I said, yeah, I am. He said, me me too, man. And this dude was wild. I wish I got a hundred stories about this dude. (laughs) We let's let it play. You promise me right now. And you Mm -hmm. promise our listeners we'll do, we'll do an in loving memory of Dale. Done. Done. Okay. We will do that. (laughs) Because Um, I got some good. We do. So you and me, we'll sit and talk before we get on the air with it because we need to get all of that out of our system before we come in and go, yeah, yeah, we probably better not tell about that time. And yeah, yeah, Yeah. let's do this time. There's a lot of that, but he, he was, he was amazing, man. 
Well, uh, long story short. Well, he was a just a regular guy, but no ordinary dude. That is exactly right. And I'll tell you this because he would tell you himself if you were here. Long-time heroin addict, long-time meth addict, long-time crack addict. He'd done at that when I met him. Well, when we got out, because him and I wound up going to prison together, and he got out shortly before I did, but I think he had like 14 years behind prison walls. Uh, Yeah, and he was in his 30s. Mm -hmm. He he had literally spent 50% of his life locked Mm up. Yep. And uh, not only that, I mean, let's let's get out the rest of the stuff. He was also at one point AB. He was an Aryan brother, oh, big time, big time. And he was still marked for all of that. Yep. And he had come to Christ and walked away from that and took many a beatings for doing so. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the the dude straight Literally up beatings. he he lived the life. I mean, there that's no joke. He was uh, he did his time in uh, Utah and the state of Wyoming, and he mm-hmm. was he was a real enchilada man. They yep. make movies about guys like him. That's for real. And I and I must give credit where credit's due. A lot of my uh, encouragement, I guess I should say, to be able to stand. Well, let me just put it this way. Dale and I started a Bible study in our cell in county. And we also had enough balls. <laughs> Forgive me. But my mom sent me this Max Licato book full of short stories. So we started a story time at night. And I don't remember if it was Bible study that you walked in in on or story time. I don't know. I think it was Bible study. I I'm think not, it I'm probably not, was I, too, I think it was because all of you had your Bibles open. Okay, so you're not allowed to have anybody else in your cell in county, period, for any reason, at any time, under any circumstances. Right? They don't like romance. <laughs> Hey, so, if, you, if anybody out there listening gets deeply offended by prison and jail comedy. Uh, we're keeping you, it very light. Yeah, you, you had probably better turn this show off right now. <laughs> well, lo and behold, for whatever reason, and I don't remember, uh, was it the captain that was working the jail at that time that you became friends with? Uh, Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Yeah, it was Lieutenant. Uh, a Lieutenant Clark. Okay, uh, Jerry right. Clark was that's his right. name. He was an awesome guy. Well, for whatever reason. Not at the time. He hated me. <laughs> yeah, I, I recall that. Uh, we just started doing these Bible studies and didn't really care. And for whatever reason, they just kept on let us letting us have them. But And I think part of the reason because of that is because Epod at that time was nicknamed Thunderdome. Absolutely, and it, it was an extremely violent place. It was right where a guy like me belonged. Well, I'll tell you this. You can think what you want about doing time in Wyoming. Go try some. It's not as easy as you think, but Wyoming's Wyoming. And also say you did nothing but a little bit of county time. I challenge you to go do well, that for 180 to, days. Listen to what I'm saying. I've done a lot of time in Wyoming. I did two and a half years in Texas. And I did about six year, uh, six months in Oklahoma at the very end of my sentence. Epod, Natrona County Jail, 2002, most violent pod I've ever been in in my life. I would say uh, in general, we saw somebody end up in medical care at least once every three days. Oh, easy. 
And uh, that's why I don't play Monopoly, because it's a horrifying <laughs> yeah. game. It is horrifying why game. we both still flinch when we go to change a channel on the TV. you got to look over both shoulders, make sure your wife's not going to tackle you or something. And you never fling cold water into a shower. No, no, not on Dale. You no, know, you'll end up with a naked guy running across the floor, chasing you up a set of stairs and beating Straight you down. Up. And you're more worried about being beat by the naked guy than being beat up, really. You're like, please don't touch me anymore. So that's oh, just Lord. kind of the deal. This will be one of the extra Dale stories we'll tell oh, yeah. later. That'll be a good one. But let's talk about, you know, Jerry Clark, I I talked to him years later, and he did know that you guys were doing that. Mm -hmm. And he said that any pod, and he used to tell me this one, as I've been a chaplain in there now for 15 years, and uh, he said uh, anybody that, um, Jerry's now passed away, but uh, what he said back then is anybody that's running uh, that, they will listen in to see if they're if it's a real Bible study, and if it is, they leave it alone. Because they see, they could see, at least during his time, and I would say during uh, Lieutenant Clapp's time as well, is what they saw was uh, definitely a calming down of things. Oh, yeah, definitely. When people are coming to Christ. And I'll also say this about this time, and I, I hope I'm not rambling, but a lot of these things I haven't talked about or thought about in a long time, and they're pertinent. Um. It was not easy to do that. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to oh, going to over exaggerate. Uh, I'm not the most intimidatable person there is. Neither is Dale. And together as a force, and especially when we, which I'm going to tell this story very quickly, when we became very close friends with you. And I'm just going to say this: it's just the obvious. You really didn't. You you. You'd have to have another gang to come up against our three-man little gang. I mean, we weren't playing. No, we were. We were when I came to Christ, man, and you both were in it. There was definitely no joke. Uh, uh, and and I want you to you the listeners to understand is that we had everything in that pod from Nazi lowriders uh, to straight AB to uh we had real satanists yeah we had yeah we actually had two high priests from the luciferian church very 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 for real satan serious just as serious as we were about christian faith they they were very as serious about their own and i'll tell you a story about that in a minute okay and the other thing you know we had uh uh, that was the first time any of us had ever laid eyes on Serenios because they were being federally brought here from California. So we were the first time Wyoming Knights had ever really come across them. So we were dealing with other gangs, et cetera. But, uh, you know, out of a pod of 47 guys, I believe is what we had in, in Thunderdome, we ended up with a total of uh, probably about 15 to 18 people attending Bible study uh, every mm-hmm. week. Yep. as well as going to church on Sundays and going to Bible study with Quentin Decker. Yep, correct, correct. And God bless that man. Uh, so I say we, we didn't have, I mean, we definitely had our challenges. We had a guy who is still Bert and our friend. Uh, we had to walk in his cell and stop, this dude was trying to steal his food. You know what I mean? And in fact, Dale and I, walked in there and waited for him to come and told him this is done. I mean, this, it, this was, I'm, I don't say that. I'm just saying that to give, it was for real, man. So 
while we didn't get a ton of backlash from the inmate pop- population on the Bible studies and stuff, the more we were reaching out to other inmates and actually making a difference, the more violent, and this escalated quickly. Play that. Oh, hold on. You, you go on, and I'll, I'll okay. get to your escalating quickly here. <laughs> Just one second. And any t- hold on. Any time that we're, we're talking about gangs, let me tell you what. You used to come out of your cell, and the first thing you do if you're wearing flip-flops is look around. If everybody else in shoes, you go back and put on your shoes because someone's right. about to go down. The minute they were done before count started, you there someone's getting smoked and you just knew it you didn't want it to be you so often we'd look at each other and go oh that escalated quickly (laughs) i mean that really got out of hand fast it jumped up a notch it did didn't it (laughs) that perfectly describes oh yeah that does so so as i said it wasn't so much a person-to-person conflict I'm just going to say this the only way I know how the spirits that were acting in that room, both the Holy spirit and demonic spirits were coming head to head very quickly. And I, I tell you what, I, I have that still to this day. When I walk in that jail, the, the reason the guards like me in that jail is because when I come in, there's definitely, there's a combat, but whatever pods I call, calm immediately down because the spirit the holy spirit steps into there and just calms that down and uh it's quite a trip uh when you are in the jail here is that you definitely get a good look at um fully demonically possessed people and i don't know that everybody you know a lot of christians they like to play that little game or they they watch things on it but when you're around it all the time you you definitely realize that uh that but that's what it is. Uh, that, yeah, that they are fully active and uh, full on attack, and you under you start to understand why people are trapped in their addictions, etc. Is because they're in bed with all the wrong things. Well, that's very accurate. That's very accurate, and I, I'll tell you this. Um, not sure how I want to say this. There was a particular night and a time when things had gotten just out of hand. I mean, out of hand. And and we were both on the second tier. We were both. Bert lived about, what, two houses down from me. Yep, that's right. Me and Dale were in the same cell. And we had agreed on a specific time after lockdown to pray. All of us together, even though Bert was in a separate cell from us, he was going to pray at the same time as well. And I have no shame in saying this. I'm, this is another moment I'm quite proud of that I just don't tell very many people about because I don't need I don't need to hear. I don't care if you believe me or not. This is the truth. Me and Dale got down on the side of whoever's bunk was on the bottom and kneeled over and. As was our habit, we would both pray, and we would take turns who went first. And I started praying first, and I remember as vividly as I'm sitting here looking at Bert. We prayed for a bit, and 
I don't remember the exact words I said, but I prayed. I called out this spirit of violence and I called it by name. I said, there is a demon of violence in this pod and we're calling it out and we ask you to fight against it for us. And something, this demon, and I I hate to repeat myself and say this. I don't care if who believes this or not. Something came in that cell and so violently and physically pushed down on me and Dill's back, and I believe Bert's as well, that I couldn't finish. I started stumbling, bumbling, and I couldn't breathe for like what seemed like a minute, but was probably more a few seconds. And just the most crazy fog. And I remember kind of now just tell them a fog in your mind that we didn't have the cell filled up with the yeah no no just my mind was so fogged and i remember looking at dale and him looking at me and i was like dude did you just feel that and he was like yeah all right and that's and that's that is kind of like a to me and i i say this with all humility believe me jeremy's nobody but like a paul and silas moment kind of where instead of and I, I think it was Paul and Silas that got beat and they went away rejoicing because it was scary, dude. And it was the first time, I, not by far the last encounter I've had with physical demon presence. But it was kind of like, holy crap, that did just happen. And let me tell you what was going on down the hall is that I did not have it in there with me. But where uh, at the time I had another guy that was not a Christian in my cell, his name was Danny. And Danny was up on his bunk. And uh, he had the upper bunk and I had the lower bunk. And I would I would lay out a blanket. And when I'd lay out this blanket, I would go ahead and uh, get down on the floor and pray. So what happened is I got down and I was praying at this exact time because I, I think we did it as soon as the guards come by, we would start prayers because they come by and do uh, count. Then I, I hit the floor. So at that point, what I had happened was something smacked my door hmm. to the point where Danny about jumped out of his skin. And I looked over and I mean, it was... I was like, what was that? So I crawled up to the door, and you could see underneath the doors. And I'm looking, and the the deputy had long since gone. Mm -hmm. So then in the morning, we all three get up for breakfast, and we're all talking, and we start walking because in jail you walk a lot every day because you need to move around. Absolutely. And we tell each other the story. (laughs) Story. We describe what had happened to each of us the night before. And that's when stuff started to get serious, I guess you could say. Now, I'm get, I am want to back up just for a second, okay? All right, I'll let you. But I, I got I got to finish. There's a little bit more that okay, happens go ahead. under no, go your ahead. cell. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. need to finish that right so, so Yeah, I'm going to finish that because they need to have that piece. Mm-hmm. So the next day, we're walking around circles. It's Poole and I, and uh, Dale's sitting down writing a letter or something. And as we're walking by the cell, it's directly I under I forgot his. about this. It's sitting directly under his. The two Luciferians that were in there, We, I look into their cell as we're walking by, and I said, Pool, the next time we pass by there, I want you to take a look inside of there. And so when he came back around, their cell door was even further open than it was before, and there was a giant pentagram that was right underneath their uh, cell. Yep. 
right under, literally, directly underneath me and Cam's cell, or Cam, me and Dale's cell. <laughs> you and Dale's cell. Now, the one thing is, is that what what ended up happening with that is that uh, those two guys and us clashed on a real regular basis, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't, uh, it never became violent uh, or anything to that effect. And uh, but what ended up happening is uh, we definitely butted heads to say the very, very least. And one thing that I always had suspicion of, but I didn't know, is even being a pagan, I wasn't a Luciferian. That's a whole different situation. You need to understand that. But one day, one of the guys get a letter from the company I work for. And I look at it, and I'm like, hey, who do you know that works for company XYZ that I work for? And he rattles off one of the rig managers. One of these dudes did? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this explains a lot. Because that guy and I never got along. And then afterwards, it definitely went downhill. After I'd come to Christ, it definitely went downhill thereafter. But So that that is actually a very important part of that story is, um, you know, Bert's right. There, are a lot of people mess around with paganism and uh, astronomy, Wiccan. They Wiccan, they like to pretend, per, play Wiccan. They like, yeah, they like to play Druid. But when you're around the real deal, I mean, I'm not just talking about Luciferian. But when you're around real Wiccan, yes. when you're around, oh yes, will you you, you will see send, some the stuff. Holy Spirit will sense that spirit in them, and you'll feel it instantly. I mean, truly and. A, a lot of people are unfortunately just drawn into those things because quite frankly, the Christian church doesn't do enough to draw them into us. In my opinion, part partially, I'm not going to lay that out there as an accusation against the church, but a lot of young people find the occult very attractive. Well, absolutely. Because they are looking for supernatural mm-hmm. and they are not seeing it within a lot of the church body. Correct. I mean, if I wasn't in a pulpit, uh, I can assure you that whoever would be filling that pulpit would never, ever discuss that. You should have seen the first time in that church that I talked about Jesus casting out the the the, the, the legion mm-hmm. out of the demoniac. Yeah. And I said, if anybody wants to stick around uh, after church and talk about this, uh, meet me up in the chapel, which the chapel holds about 12 people. Well, it was standing room only. I should have just moved the whole church back into the yep. the sanctuary because they were all like, I've never, ever heard a pastor ever discuss any of these things. Are you telling us that you believe this is real? I said, how can you not believe that it is exactly. real? And then as we started talking, people started um, saying, is this what this is? And, you know, my kid has been oppressed Okay, and I said, yeah, there's a huge difference between oppression and possession. And we we just happen to live in, in an area uh, here in Casper, Wyoming, that has the only park in the entire United States that is dedicated to witchcraft. Uh, up on Crimson Dawn Crimson on Casper Dawn. My, Mountain. Yep, yep that's true. Uh, so there's a lot in that. And I do want to say this, part of the reason that I'm telling some of these things that I don't talk about very often is not to entice. It's to let other people know that, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you're battling, uh, an addiction, 
if you're battling sin in your life and you're getting serious about it and you start thinking you're going crazy because you're hearing weird things and something seems like it's messing with you, you're probably not going crazy. You're probably going sane. And there's something that doesn't like the fact that you are going sane and waking up to reality and seeking the Lord because without going too deep into it, I'm telling you, I know. And a lot of the Christians, we have a very good friend, uh, Misty Johnson, I'll say her name. She's She was delivered flat out from demon possession, flat out. And I know many Christians to this day, myself included, that battle with spiritual the spiritual realm that that will attack and i don't mean this in a frightening way to frighten anybody but i mean will attack you attack your thoughts attack your home your family i'm gonna tell you to take that back you should be afraid you should you you know what there's a reason that there's a thing called the fear of the lord and i i ain't gonna soft sell nothing on this show ever what i meant is not physically afraid of like getting beat up or something like that but there's I know uh, better than it, not better. I know as well as anyone that all I have to do is say the name of Jesus. And I've felt them retreat and get down on my knees and start praying earnestly to the Lord. They will flee. Without Seek the Lord and the devil will pursue for them. And, and absolutely. And the other thing, that is a part of the reason that it is so important to spend as much time in the word as you as people do. I mean, that if you if you want to be active in uh defense against the Antichrist, then you have to stay solid in your word. Because even what I preached today mm-hmm. uh was what did Jesus use when battling the devil? The, the word. word of the Lord. Right. And and even when the devil tried to misuse the word of the Lord, he put it into right perspective. Yep, and so those things become very important when you're fighting that. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> one thing that when I joined the Lutheran church and they'd sent me off to school, uh, one of the things all the teachers had said, uh, have you ever done an exorcism? And my wife <laughs> is sitting next to me, and she has a grip on my arm that later <laughs> bruised me because she's like, don't don't answer them. <laughs> she's whispering in my ear for me not to answer them. And I said, uh, yeah, I've done exorcisms, lots of them, except we don't call them that. We call it deliverance. Correct. And then I went through a process of explaining to them what exactly that meant. The whole thing about this church, the uh, they were listening so intently, these teachers. And I mean, I'm, I've got some of the upper echelon teachers that are listening. Uh, the ones that run the college, mm-hmm. and they are listening very intently. They said, "We got a guy you need to talk to." I said, "Why is that?" And they they ended up um, uh, hooking me up with a guy by the name of Philip Gagnon, okay, and he is out of Canada. And for our denomination, just for your knowledge, he is the one that does that. And he, really? yeah, the and they, he does exorcisms. Really? And the thing is, is that our church is I not afraid of it. I will. I'll. I'll give you a deliverance right here on the air. Everybody's like, "Do it, man! Do it!" I can. I can Just almost three hundred more followers. Yeah, so you guys will, gotta listen to this. Yeah, we. Yeah, we will. Everybody will be like, "Yeah, let's just drop the bomb." So you know, the whole thing is with uh, what's that? 
Yeah, that's the way it would sound anyway. The whole thing is with with that stuff, Jeremy, is that we uh, we have to realize that this stuff is real. We should never, ever uh, hold back from telling and all that. And, you know, we, um, I'm just going to tell everybody, we're, we're going to run, I usually run my shows about an hour, but we're going to run this show till we're done talking. Thank you. Because okay. some of that stuff I need to get off my All chest, right. man. So let's take off with the rest of it. You, okay, we, so, we're in jail. You, right. You've got so, that. So go wherever so, you need to. Okay. I've given my word to God that anytime I give any kind of a testimony, that I will point towards him. Because that is right and proper and true. No, I should be dead just like you, Bert, and probably everybody listening to this should have been dead many times over. And you know it. But uh, what I one of the things that I want to say is that it wasn't easy to pick up that Bible the first day in jail and see people sitting me sitting there reading it. It wasn't easy when Dale, this crackhead looking, trust me. <laughs> Dude weighed like about 130 pounds, but he was, uh, he was wild. He was definitely a wild man. Oh man. It wasn't easy when he walked in that cell and he said, are you a Christian? It wasn't easy to say yes. And when him and I started doing our own Bible studies and the Lord inspired us to invite other people. It wasn't easy to say yes. And when my mom sent me that Max Licato book and God said, start reading stories at night for these guys, it wasn't easy to say yes. But I honestly didn't care. I don't know how else to say it. I, I knew that God had led me into turning myself in, and I knew that he was going to walk with me through this journey. And... That led to many, many, many blessings, which I, w- I wish I had the time to tell you guys about more of them. But one of the biggest blessings for me, seriously, came in the form of a probably, what, 270 at that time? How heavy were you? I, I now think I'm when I ask you no no when I when I when I hit jail I was uh, I was full blown powerlifting steroided out I weighed three oh five so we're sitting there doing I this got no neck study. and a real real angry human being yep pretty that's a pretty accurate description <laughs> so we're having Bible study one night and in a panic this three hundred approximately pound dude walks in my cell with a panicked look on his face. And I had seen Bert. He'd been in there for, I don't know, a few weeks, something like that. You can't miss him. And uh, Unless you and, miss the wall, and, you're like, where did the wall go? Oh, and, that's Bert. <laughs> He's standing in front of it. And he walks in, and he looks around the cell, and he sees there's however many guys in there, probably 12 dudes or something like that. And it was, it was quite awkward. I remember it vividly. But... uh he goes, what are you guys doing? And I said, we're having Bible study. And I didn't know if we were under attack. What the hell is going on? I was coming in there to collect my tax for you being yeah. in my jail. I was like, wait, 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 man. We're cool. We're cool. <laughs> and Dale, our brother, said, why are you down with Jesus? And I remember you turning around. That's all I remember. 
And I don't remember much more from that specific night, to be God honest with you. But, Bert, you can you can listen to Bert's testimony on that better than I can tell it. And it's in his book, and I'm going to shamelessly plug it again. But uh, that the, this is one of the reasons, and, and God has been telling me to, to share my testimony for another reason, because I think a lot of people will relate to this. Um. Jeremy Poole is an incredibly imperfect human being. So is Bert Eldridge, by the way. Just spoiler alert. Yeah, that that that's no spoiler alert. Everybody's like, duh. <laughs> but it's hard. I've and this is something personal between Bert and I, truly. But I've had a lot of people introduce me as this is a guy that saved Bert, and that bothers me deeply. It would, I bu- always, it would bug I me always too. correct them and say no. Jeremy Poole has never saved anyone, including his own rear end. Right. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus saved, saved us. Jesus saved me, man. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And what I'm the the thing I want to tell you all is I didn't think I was doing anything special. I wasn't trying to get brownie points, and I damn sure wasn't trying to make friends among the inmate population. I was just doing what I thought God wanted me to do, and I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it. And uh, many of you know at least part of Bert's story. And I've gone on to minister to many people in my own life in my own way, which is very different from yours and from Bert's and from everybody else's. You know, we, we each have our own calling. But that obedience led to... Many, 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 many people through the years, through many, 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 many people being introduced to Jesus Christ. And that that's something that I give God the credit for because I'm not an obedient person. <laughs> if you, I just, that's not my natural tendency. But he blessed that obedience. And I wish I could had time to tell you all the way through prison. Did well, one, one we... thing, one thing I do want you to talk about, and, and, you know, you're a hundred percent right. Is that, uh, you know, we've been just blessed enough to see people come to Christ while we're there. We may be, uh, preaching. We may be talking to people. We may lead people through some prayers, but at the end of the day, it is Jesus Christ. He is the only way he is the way, the truth and the life. And no one goes to the father except through him. No right. one receives the Holy Spirit unless it comes from him. And that that would be a reality. <clears throat> On the other end, we're just servants Correct. A- at the end. And that isn't a humble, that isn't a false humility or anything else. I recognize who I am. And I know Jeremy recognizes who, who he is. But I tell you what, the Lord blesses us when we're taking a look at somebody we have worked with or talked to through the years. And the next thing you know, he's the head of a crew at a coal mine making, you know, $110,000 a year. He's pulled his family back together. He hasn't been on dope in 10 years, etc. And he goes, well, it's all because, you know, when you were preaching in there, is that the Lord grabbed a hold of me and I ran with it. And I always tell them, well, that is what the Lord has done in your life. And they admit that. Yep. They don't say, you saved me. Yeah. And uh, But what they, what they are blessed enough, they are blessed enough 
that there uh, were men, and I, I will say this from me, Jeremy, had you not had the courage to do what you did, I I wouldn't have bounced into the room, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, God sets everything up one thing after another. Why were you in jail when you went to jail? You know, your dad told me this one time. He says, you know, I kept wondering why does my kid have to keep going back to prison? And he said it was for you. And I said, don't blame your son's life on me. I don't want to have any of that garbage. <laughs> I hope my dad's listening to this. He'll he he will be listening to this. He'll laugh about that. But my dad's the, you, a great man. You know, the, the reality of what Rod said is he had a realization that sometimes that we we get ourselves into trouble, but God can take that trouble. He can take that moment and spin everything around to to put it in place for for his good, for the growth of the kingdom. Uh, you know, uh, that day, and I, you know, I'll sit down and just do a recording of, of my story here at some point. But, you know, that day that I got locked up or that they hauled me in uh, to start doing my time, Dale was riding with me in the van. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten that till I read the book. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the next thing, uh, Jeremy was, uh, he was just kind of a background. He's a quiet guy. He kind of stayed in back. And, they, you know, I was, I was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, uh, I was a, a larger than life character at the time for sure. Uh, in the community because everybody had been watching news and they're like, oh, my God, he's going to be in our pod. This is going to end poorly. He eats it small. It did end poorly for some people. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, we'll, leave well, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that story. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's all kinds of tough guys in the world that go from tough guy to victim every day. And uh, on the other end of things, uh, the key thing is I can tell you what happened in that I can tell you what happened at that jail uh, for myself, and I and I'm going to speak on your behalf here in this moment. Yeah. Is that became a place of two dead men? Yes, it did. Because the men that went into that county jail died, yeah. and they did not come out. The men that come out were something different, something different than what it went in, and we've been different ever since. And, uh, you know, uh, I can tell you that uh, Jeremy was screwing up a little bit when he was down in Texas, and Dale was up here in Wyoming. So Dale and I are on the phone one day, and he says, we need to start praying. We need to start praying right now. And I said, okay, man, what are we praying for? So we're praying together over the phone, which, by the way, was at a buck and a half a minute for this <laughs> prayer. And, my God, man, I'm, let me I'm tell you something. You, 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 I'm going to send you a bill now that I think about it. <laughs> Uh, on the other end is I got Dale on the other end who can pray for up teen hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you know, we got to chop it off. Just say you want to go there. So he ends up praying. This is a no joke deal. He ends up praying. I this end up true. praying. I get my sister on board praying. I get my wife on board praying. I got all these people praying. Boom, boom, boom. We're all praying. And then all of a sudden, Dale gets a transfer to Texas, to Littlefield, Texas. Yep. And what what cell do they put him in, Jeremy? So this is another, they call them different, uh, no esser, but this is no crap. Dale starts praying on the way down. It was a miracle he got sent to Texas anyway. Yeah, actually, he shouldn't have went to Texas. He was supposed to go to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So he he's on his way down there, and he's like, man, I just would like to see Jeremy. And he's praying to God. And he's like, I know it's a big request, but, man, if you could even put me in the same cell block with him. And then he, Dale told me this with his own mouth. He said, I was finally like, well, screw it, God. You can do anything. Put me in the same cell with him. 
I swear I say this in front of God. It just so happened I was in the honor pot at that time. Now, there's a major coincidence if you haven't ever heard one. But anyway, I was. That is an oddity in itself, yeah. showing that only God can intervene oh, yeah. in this knucklehead's life yeah. to put him in an honor cell. And lo and behold, the very last inmate off the bus was Dale Hunt. And lo and behold, there was only one bunk left in the entire prison open. Because he had gotten added on that roster to come down there as an extra, they didn't have the beds. He's the one extra inmate, and there just so happens to be one extra bunk in one extra cell, and it was my cell. And Dale calls me that night, and he goes, hey, dude, I got I got down here. I got to Littlefield, and I'm like, cool. Uh, so have you seen him? He goes, well, I got a little thing to tell you. And then he handed the phone to Jeremy and Jeremy goes, dude, walk straight in my, into my cell. (laughs) We're sellies. And we're like, Oh, praise God. I mean, we are all whooping and hollering. It was crazy. Mind you, by this time I'm out, these guys have been doing time for a bit. I'm staying on the phone with him. We're, we're writing letters to each other. And even in the meantime, while you guys are inside, my wife ends up coming to Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because you guys got to understand, my wife didn't even come to Christ for another three years after. Uh, I often tell, not often, but I've told Christy. Christy is a great prayer warrior now. And uh, especially over people that she loves. You know what I mean? And one time she got done praying fairly recently. And I said, you want to know something? Because... uh when I got out of prison, Bert and Christy invited me into their home, and I lived with them for six months. And I had only known this man from doing time with him. Uh, but I told Christy one day, I said, you know, I remember when you wouldn't pray over your own dinner table. And she laughed, but that's true. I do remember a time when it was me, you, her, and Keisha, and she would not pray over dinner. It's not that she didn't believe necessarily or anything like that. It just made her uncomfortable. Now... Try to shut her up. I dare you. What I love about Christy, my wife, is that she says, well, I, I'm not like you guys. I don't get words from the Lord. Right until she starts talking to a church and goes through every single person in a church we're preaching at. We're, one time, her and I are in Rollins, and we're preaching at a church, and, and she goes, now, I, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. I said, okay, babe, why don't, why don't you just try it? So uh, she goes, okay, I've got something for you, and she points to one person in the in the front row. Now, at this church, there's approximately 40 people, 35, 40 people. Uh, by the time she was done, we had to like literally stop her. She had uh, spoken prophecy over every single person in the room. It was like, that's crazy. She's amazing. And I want to say something else. Uh, and I guess kind of to tie into a thought I was talking about a, a bit ago is um, for those of you that don't know, Bert and I and have are friends of ours or whatever. I've never really put this in the words, I guess, but uh, I was his first introduction to Christ in in a sense. You know what I mean? And today, and for many years now, Bert is my pastor. When he, when he came to know the Lord, I knew more than he did. 
and I'm not arguing semantics, who knows more or less. I'm just saying, I have now submitted under your authority as my pastor. In fact, you and one other, pa- excluding, including, I should say, my father, who is my pastor, but you and my brother, my younger brother, eight years my younger, are my pastors. And I it, it, that not only do I not have shame in that, it makes me very proud. And to see your education, where it's gone, and, and what you've done with your life. And God has a different calling on our lives, and that's just fine. And I want that to encourage people out there. Is You know, my mom used to actually say often, you know, everybody knows Billy Graham's name. Well, and I actually do. But how many people know the name of his Sunday school teacher that led him to the Lord? Now, who's more famous in the kingdom of heaven? Malachi you know, Ham. Malachi Ham is his name. Yeah, he wasn't Malachi really. Ham he was. was he was name. a tent preacher. And he yeah. actually was no, a no. well-known figure. And, and you want to know something? I'm going to take it one more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it one more step further. He uh, he didn't matter. He he was preaching, but had. Uh, let me give you a quick quick story. You ready? Mm-hmm. Billy Graham had showed up. He was 15 years old. He's looking for a place to sit at this tent revival. Malachi Ham is preaching. He can't see. He's actually there chasing after a girl. Looks around, can't find her, right? So he starts to leave. Door greeter that we don't know his name. Yeah. Grabs a hold of his elbow and says, where are you going, son? He said, oh, I can't find a seat. He said, let me find you a seat. That's the guy that got G- That's wow. the guy that got Billy Graham to Christ. It's the guys that are unknown. I, I tell you what, um, here's an honest fact. If you're listening to this, I, I'm going to tell you, here is a quick reality. When you visit very old churches, and I just came back from San Antonio and seen some very old churches. When you stand outside that front door, there is a place worn that's right next to that door. And it's worn down, and it's worn down from somebody kind of pacing back and forth, somebody standing there. You can see almost make out footprints there. Those are the door greeters welcoming people Mm -hmm. day after day into church. Now, they may remember the priests. They may remember the sermons. They may remember all kinds of things. But I tell you what, there's somebody there that made sure those pews were polished. There was somebody there that uh, opened up that door for you and then said, hey, thank you. And the, the priest is always standing out there, and he receives his due. You know, mm-hmm. there's like, thank you, thank you. Uh, and they don't shake the other guy's hand. That's, a good, that, that's a good point. But that is the guy that uh, he is uh, He is serving the Lord. And when you get called to serve, serve. Yep. Uh, Stephen, who was the very first martyr for Jesus, he was a, he was a chair straightener. Hmm. He was a door greeter, well, you know, and uh, one of my uh, uh, at some point, me and Poole, we're going to be starting a church. He doesn't know that yet, but it's coming. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. And I've, I've, I'm going to be the door greeter. You, I, you can be the door <laughs> greeter, but I'm going to tell you the name of the church. I already know it in my head. What? It is going to be St. Lawrence. And because St. Lawrence was nothing more than a door greeter. Hmm. And uh, he became a saint uh, because they had come to the church. And they, when they got to the church, uh, these guys, they boom, 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 pound on the door. And they say, we need you to bring the riches of the church. We're coming back in three days, and we want all the riches of the church here. He said, okay, no problem. So they left. He goes inside. He looks around. He gathers up every piece of gold, every piece of silver. Takes it down, has it melted down. 
It starts going and gathering every person that has leprosy, every person that's blind, every person that's lame, and he starts feeding them. He takes all that money and he feeds all those people and he has them all lined up in front of the church and they, the guy comes walking up, boom, 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 pounds on the door and he says, hey, did you? we want, we want the riches of the church. He says, I fed them and prepared them. There they are. Amen to that. And uh, I, I tell you what, we need to remember that the true wealth of any church is not found in the cash. It's found in the people. That's right. And it's found in those whom you serve for the Lord. That is very true. And uh, many of my greatest blessings have been when uh, you actually taught me to be fearless in doing this, is when the Holy Spirit lays it on your heart to pray for someone. Ask them if you can pray for them. That freaked you out. That did freak me out a bit the first time. But it has given me the courage to do it many times since. And I don't know what the results of those prayers were, but I can say almost with probably without exception. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure I can say without exception, every single person that I've done that for, and it's not all the time and it's not, you know, I'm imperfect. Sometimes I don't when I should, sometimes I probably do when I shouldn't, but, uh, I've never had someone be ungrateful. And in fact, it's usually quite the opposite, but, um, I'm going to jump through a bunch of stuff to say something else because I just think that there's a lot of people, Christians that go through what I'm going through and what Bert's going through and what every other Christian is going through in some capacity in their life. I'll just lay it out there. I struggle with alcohol bad. I have my whole life. I'm struggling with it yet, but, uh, and so I, the only reason I'm laying that out there and saying that is I don't ever want to get too big for my bridges or sound like I am because I, Jeremy Poole is a complete mess 90% of the time. 10% of the time, eh, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> what my, my point being this is we are saved by the word of our testimony. And... Uh, I've determined through prayer and stuff and, and having the Holy Spirit telling me you need to start talking about this stuff to people is uh, just start talking about things and be honest. I mean, life is hard, life is rough, and I'm born and raised Christian in a good Christian home. I still have good Christian family, some of the best. And they struggle with things. I struggle with things, and so do you. And it's okay, but there, I mean, there's got to come a point in time where me and you and you, Bert, and every other person listening has to come to a point and it's hard, especially for me to say, okay, I give up just like that day I walked into that jail. I'm kind of at that crossroads right now, to be God honest with you, where I just, I'm going to have to say, all right, I give up and that's not easy, but it was definitely worth it last time. Well, it'll be worth it every time because, you know, Christ, Christ steps in and helps us. It is, you know, if anything ever showed the, the true nature of Jesus, it is being on the cross. And I know we can talk about sin. We can talk about everything. But it was in that moment of human weakness that he truly overcame all things. And it is in a moment when we are at our weakness, our weakest state, 
that is where the strength is found, but it will only be found in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Well, we'll have to do one just on prison sometime, dude, because there was so many miraculous things. Preston Davis, Brother Brett Groves. I mean, I could write a book on just the miraculous that happened in prison, things that shouldn't have happened that did. And um, I give great credit to Bert Eldridge and his wife, Christy, and many, many people who I'm not going to name right now. But this is a man of God, and you can take it on my word, whatever that's worth, that he's worth listening to, and he's honest, and he's truthful, and <laughs> he's going to play a... No. I'm, oh. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not going to play a joke and go, ha, 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 yeah. No, no, man, no. I ain't. I and, promise. And, you know... You can find Christ anywhere, and it might be in the homeless dude on the side of the road, man. I've had occasion to help people from time to time and been more blessed from them than they were of me, you know. And I don't want to ramble. I'm just I'm I'm glad to be able to share uh, my testimony. I all I know is everything that I've said is absolutely true. And I want to encourage, I really think there are people listening to this that have a experienced a taste of the Holy Spirit and don't know if they want to believe it or not, if it was real or true. And B, have tasted a step their foot in the demonic and don't want to admit whether it's real or true. And um, I hope that this has encouraged you. That's my only. Uh, wish is to point you towards the Lord and towards freedom. And I'm not sitting on any pulpit, believe me, Well, but I know know it's true. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. If you need help, uh, you can always reach out to us in any way uh, via email is one. And uh, we play all that there at the end for info at the barbarian com. But uh, you know, the one thing I can tell you is that for a person to start seeing a change in their life, and you're going to hear this from people being interviewed on this show all the time, there's a lot of things that we have to surrender to Christ. And, you know, I definitely have seen um, and I hear from people all the time. They are like, well, you can't do anything. Jesus does it all. That That is true. But I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, I had Jesus uh, come at me a million different ways before I was in that jail cell. And uh, when that day happened, it was the day. It was that moment. And you never know when that moment's going to be. But, you know, the thing is, is uh, continue. Continue to fight. Continue to fight no matter what. Recognize that in your weakness, that is where strength is going to be found. The other thing to recognize is that, you know, uh, when you think you have hit rock bottom, that is awesome. You want to know why rock bottom is about it? means you finally found enough truth to build a bottom. Because if you That's think rock. you cannot go lower, you can. You can always go lower than where you're at. But I'll tell you, the honest fact of the matter is, is that when a person decides, okay, here I am. I need to see change. I need to see everything come together. That's it. So... We will do another show. I guarantee you that we will do. Uh, we'll do like a. Um, we'll do one for our 
for a Friday, you know, like a freaky Friday or a, hey, do you want to hear some really psycho prison stories Man. or something to that effect? We'll have to put like a different disclaimer on that one. Be like, okay, I no, will. This I, is adults only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Um, I am, in fact, I think Apple does that to me anyway sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, it's all good. Well, Jeremy, I just want to say uh, from the very bottom of my heart, brother, I'm glad you're in my life for one. And, uh, you know, uh, when we launched all of this last week, uh, I knew that I needed to get, uh, I knew I needed to get you in front of that microphone for several reasons, because there are people out there that need to, for starters, hear that story, but even more so to give you an opportunity to start into something you're going to continue to do. And that is sharing that story with people. And uh, your your story is going to change. It's going to uh, develop and it's going to become more because as you start feeling a little more trust in what the Lord is having you reveal, uh, you're going to see just an incredible thing. And I just I just want to say thank you for being here and uh, being part of the Barbarian Nation because uh, we are uh, we're starting to ramp up right now. You know, pretty soon we'll be offering all kinds of fun stuff with that. But I just want to tell you. Jeremy, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Jesus loves you, and I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. That's right. For questions or comments, please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness and the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that.